Welcome to Life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is the podcast, with thanks to our very good friends at Murcott's Driving Excellence, that's 1300 555 the star of the show, the one and only Rock God, Brian Rock God. Rock God. RG. 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 Well, there you go, RG Bargy. RG. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How are you, Kev? I'm good. How are you, Rock God? Oh, look, I'm, you know... I'm here. That's the main thing. That's, are you Olympic? Have you? Are you full of Olympic fever and zest and and goodwill I, to man? I am a little bit full of the Olympic fever. Um, I I slept through the entire opening ceremony, so I who got didn't? No, well, I don't know. I didn't see a thing. <laughs> I sat down ready to watch it, and I woke up as Uganda was walking into the uh, stadium, and I thought, well, I've missed it all. Well, there's three productive hours of your life. Well. Much, because, well, I kind of subscribe to the theory and I've had this conversation with a few people over the last couple of days. It, mm-hmm. No crowd made it made it difficult and flattened it completely in, in many ways. But the introduction of a sporting uh, sort of uh, competition, and, that, and that's what the Olympic Games are, uh, as much as it's about, you know, the goodwill to, to all mankind, it's also about setting everyone up for, you know, 12, 13, 14 days of competition. So it should excite yep. you. It should it should get you feeling like you want to jump off the couch and go and run a hundred meters, go and throw a javelin, go and jump in a pool. Well, yes. your reaction was probably the reaction that most of my friends had. They fell asleep. Oh, it's gee. long, it's tedious, it's unexciting, and it's not all that riveting television watching. Even when you compare it to some of the dross that we do have on the telly. Wow, I saw a little bit on the uh, highlights where they had these drones making a globe of the world. I thought that was pretty spectacular. As a highlights pack, it's like a lot of sporting events. If you whack it down into a three-minute highlight package, (laughs) it looks great. But if you have to watch all three hours of an American football game, it's not quite as exciting as the three minutes of highlights. Oh, okay. Well, I've been enjoying the soccer very much. I thought, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's been going well. And, yeah, no, it's 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 nice to have a little bit of extra sport on the telly because, um, you know, we're watching a lot of television at the moment yeah. and uh, nice to have a little bit of sport on there. Um, I watched Ash Barty win the doubles the other day. That was good. Yeah, no, I think it's good. I've, I am caught up in Olympic fever a little bit. So well, I watched the taekwondo. I watched, uh, I think oh, his name is... Oh, I saw uh, a bit of that. Khalif, I think his name is, um, in the 58 kilo men's. Uh, yeah. So I'm an authority on taekwondo. My son does taekwondo. But, you know, I watched that and I watched... I've watched all sorts of different sports. That's the one good one. One thing I do like about the Olympics is you do get to see something a little bit out of the ordinary. And even if you know nothing about it, there's there's interest value because you're watching an Aussie, uh, you know, go to battle and try and do well for themselves and for their country. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. But um, the Taekwondo, I saw a bit of that. And, gee whiz, it didn't look very skillful to me. They just were kicking each other in the chest. It was like, where was the defence? There didn't seem to be any. Um, it was like the Manhattan Hotel in Ringwood in 1982. It's exactly <laughs> like that. It just looked like some sort of bad pub fight. <laughs> anyway. Well, it, as I said, my son does it, so I, I've seen the actual art of it and what goes into it. It's, it's actually quite a, a very, very skillful. There's no one and I could do it. Very, very skillful sport. It, um, what I saw didn't look very... Skillful at all. It just looked like, well, I'll kick you in the chest. Well, I'll kick you back in the chest. Yeah. <laughs> I thought to myself, look, I could do that. Just oh, kick somebody not. in the chest. I could. Oh, no. Look, <laughs> I'll, 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 the, the bloke who runs uh, the, the school that my son goes to, I'll put you in the ring with Frank, and I'm telling you, uh, you ain't getting out of there. Well, You're not- I reckon. You're I reckon Frank would Maddox. win a gold because the two idiots I saw looked like they were pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, uh, uh, break dancing coming into the Olympics at the next Olympics in Paris. Give me a break. Yeah, break dancing, ballroom really? dancing. Yeah, but not break dancing. Nobody break dances anymore. Is well, Eastern Europe th- doing the next ones? I was going to say that nineteen eighties break dancing. Yeah, it's spinning on your head. Can't be good for you. 
the Manhattan Hotel 1982. <laughs> well, yeah, get the breakdancers and the Taekwondo, stick them next to each other, and then yeah, you've got the Manhattan Hotel in 1982. Exactly. Yeah, yeah they, were, they were good. They were good pubs. Kramer's in Preston. You would have played all those. I did indeed. I yeah. did. Yeah. Good pubs. Used to go to watch the taekwondo. (laughs) Did not. Murcott's Driving Excellence, 1300 555 More about them later. Our guest today, it's a bit of a fanboy moment for you and I, isn't it? Oh, this is absolutely fantastic. Um, Not since uh, Mickey Dolenz and Alice Cooper and Johnny Rotten have I been this excited. Yeah, I loved this band. They really inspired me to pick up a guitar and join a band and... um, we're talking about Slade, of course. What uh, a the band mo- they were. What an impact oh, they made in that early part on, of the 70s. Come on, feel the noise. Yep. Goodbye to Jane. Mama, we're all crazy now. Look what you've done, my friend Stan. You'll get down and get with it. Darling, be home soon. Oh. Mama, oh, we've done that. Mama, oh. we're all crazy now. Yep. They've got, oh, let the Far, the far Away out. was a great song there. Christmas the song was a out, beauty. Miles Out to Sea, Every Day, My Friend Stan. Yep. Struth, they got a lot of good songs. They have. And we managed to track down uh, the guitarist in that band. He was the guitarist from day one right through until uh, until now. He's still, uh, still. Uh, hoping to tour the, the Slade band uh, some stage in the future after after the COVID uh, sort of gets out of our hair. Uh, it's Dave Hill, the man with the fringe yes. and the big, uh, the big high boots. Who could the forget super, him? The super yob. Yes, yes. Yeah. We talk about that. We'll talk about uh, you know recording um, the the Slade live album about touring Australia, about the connection he has um, with Australia that I never knew about, mm-hmm. um, and a, and a whole lot more. So uh, sit back, relax. Uh, we're going to put a call in. Now, uh, at times, uh, as happens in uh, in these COVID times, uh, we do all these things by phone these days because Brian and I haven't been able to be in a studio together for a fair while, which is probably no. a good thing. No. <laughs> no. Uh, so we haven't been able to do that. So you know, we kind of cut and paste these things together. So sometimes the line's a little, little dodgy, but uh, it's, it's certainly a, a fantastic thrill for uh, for Brian and I to ring in London and talk to the one and only Slade guitarist Dave Hill. Hello. Hello. Is that Dave? Is that Kevin? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh yes. Good. Thank you, Dave. It's Kevin Hillier and Brian Mannix calling you from Melbourne, Australia. G'day, Dave. Hope you're well. Yes, very good. Thank you. Um, yes, and getting through COVID situations like we all have been, you know. But yeah, I'm well. I've got occupied myself by writing uh, about three albums in lockdown, so I think it's been useful. <laughs> and about getting near to working again, so we'll get back on the stage. That's the best part, actually, because things are moving towards something better. How's things in Australia? Oh, we're a bit all all over the shop. Different states have different things going on at the moment, but um, our entertainment industry has been fairly heavily hit because all our, obviously, same as you, all our venues have been closed and stuff and you haven't been able to do. Brian's a singer in a band and sings with a few other different people. He hasn't had any work at all. No, it's been very well. Well, if you look at the bread and butter musicians who rely on the work, they've been hit the hardest, smaller venues, they're the ones that uh, uh, have had the difficult... In fact, most of them have to find other work, you know. Uh, And, you know, being a musician who's about playing, the thing with me is, ever since in 1963, I turned professional when I was 18, the business of playing guitar on stage in front of some audience has been going on since the, the days of the Beatles, you know, and then in 66, uh, I formed a, a band which, which would be played eventually. But but I, I've i never had this kind of time off. It's almost like uh, you, you miss the exhilaration of playing our songs. I mean, I've been playing them for near on 50 years on and off, you know? And because of uh, the resurgence in the band uh, with uh, its package last year, things have... Uh, been real fun, you know. In fact, I've been talking to people in Australia. There's been people in America. There's been people all across Europe. So it's been a lot of fun, actually. And uh, me and Nod, you know, we were, we were quite enjoying uh, chatting to all these different people 
Uh, I mean, not wrong, Alice Peter. He got a radio show. America was was a country who really didn't make it like everywhere else. But when he was talking to Alice Peter, he said, "You've got to be joking, Noddy." He says, "You're really big here," and I was it, it, like, "What?" <laughs> and I was just sort of like, "I think it, I think we must be big in the business," you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the American thing was really funny why it never happened for you in, in a big way uh, compared to, I mean, here in Australia, you were massive. You are every bit as big in Australia, if not bigger maybe, than you were in England. Yeah, well, I, I do remember when we went over the first time and Sadie Crow were with us yep. and uh, Linda Crow. I remember playing Randwick race courses in Melbourne. I, don't, uh, I know there were massive, massive venues. We didn't realise quite what had happened. The word was, it's already happening in Australia, and they played a live album. It's selling more copies than the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper. And it, <laughs> it, it, those are the things we were hearing. And our manager said, well, there seems to be a great interest to get you over there. And, I mean, we didn't know a lot about what was going on the other side of the world, understandably. Obviously, um, it's not like years later when the soaps, soaps come from Australia and lots more people knew, uh, you know, got involved in 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 your soaps and things like that. That some stars became like Kylie and all those became very popular. Yeah. And but but before that, it was and th- and then I remember that um, the one time uh, we went back to Australia, Elton John was uh, was per- performing somewhere, and he came to see us, you know, and he said, "I'm I'm absolutely gobsmacked." why you haven't been absolutely massive in America. You know, I think it may have been circumstances, maybe we were a bit too soon to go there, you know, because what we were doing was forward thinking, you know, and the way we played and and, and, and people in the audience, believe it or not, I mean one place we played and we I mean this band hadn't made it at that then, with with Gene Simmons at Kiss, uh, and the singer we're sitting out in the audience in, in a New York gig and watching us. And we weren't aware of who they were or what they'd be. But it seems that not long after that, they suddenly started to get a name and um, were citing us as one of their... In fact, they said that they always played side alive to get them warmed up to the earth. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. Uh, and actually, we met them a lot of times. Actually, we toured with them in the end in the States. But it seems like a lot of groups were seeing us. Uh, uh, there was Aerosmith. There was there was there was a lot of Brownsville uh, Station, all sorts of American bands who were all seemingly in, interested in us. And I remember one time and we didn't know who Bruce Springsteen was, <laughs> but he turned up at the venue to come and check us out. And of course. We'd heard about him, you know, from our agent by the way. So, oh, this guy's going to be really big. But nobody over at England knew about him. Uh, and yet he was, he was there, in the uh, uh, And the road manager didn't know who he was, you see. <laughs> we, were, we never actually met him, but we were aware he was there. You know, we said, oh, who are you, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. Well, the thing is, I think with America, the only way I can put it is, you know, America's uh, still getting over Vietnam, you know, and a lot of bands are playing that kind of music, you know. And I hadn't considered that something like us would be like we dropped off, dropped out the sky or something like that. Like, and one audience in the States just never clapped and looked at us. And our manager, Chef Chandler, says, I don't think they understand you. <laughs> 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 We've gone... We'd gone from absolute hysteria in Europe to go into a place where they hadn't got a clue who you were. A record company was doing this massive promotion on us. We were the next Beatles, which when we weren't. But the Beatles, they didn't go there until they had a hit record and got on the massive TV show. But when we went, it was nothing like that. It was, you had to do... You know, festivals and, and and all that was pretty new to us, you know. But I met, um, do you know a Dee Snyder is from Twisted Sister? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you remember that? Yeah, well, I knew Dee Snyder was a fan 
And I did a gig in Norway a couple of years ago. And this guy walks up to me. I thought, gosh, he looks familiar. And he walks up and he goes, my God, he said, Dave Hill. He said, what an honor, man. I said, wow, it's Dave. Yeah, because he's really tall, you know. Yep. And I said, it's, it's great to see you. What are you doing here? I said, doing gigs. Oh, yeah, you know. And he, he says, you know what, Dave? He says, I said, I understand you like it. He said, yeah, I definitely like it. He said, he said there was a decision to be made in America, he said. And as far as I was concerned, there were two camps. One was Woodstock and one was Slade. And I tell you which camp I was going in, and that was Slade. And I guess that would be the same as it. And that's an absolute truth, that is. Wow. It's like Twisted Sister like what we were doing, and so did Kit. Uh, but you'd still got the other side of uh, uh, of the music that was still going on um, post late sixties into the seventies. You can imagine some of the bands we played with. I mean, they put us on the bill with Grateful Dead. What? <laughs> 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 I mean, you saw it, um, We didn't know much about them, you know. <laughs> How's that audience going to understand a band like us? You know, it was just. As I say, in some ways, we learned from it. We toured with ZZ Top. They were unknown in in Britain. Yep. And we toured with them before. They wore beards. They wore cowboy hats. Uh, they wore diamante jackets. But we really liked their style. And they liked us on the bill because we got the audience going before they came on. You say. So, you know, it, there, were, there were some things which influenced us. We even made an album in America in New York called Nobody's Fools. The idea was to make an album in the record plant where John Lennon records and we thought, well, let's use American guys, you know, we'll make an album and maybe that will sound pretty good on radio, you know. Because America, they got all this FM, you know. We didn't have that kind of radio back home. It, it just roared out with it back home. But in America, you suddenly got, like, the Eagles and those kind of bands, you know, tasty-sounding albums. And and then you got a lot, you know, like, you know, come on, you know, checking out the... I, I think it, it took a while for people to get used to that. And, yeah. uh, but Australia certainly, certainly got it right away. It was great for my dad, you see, because he lived in Melbourne for seven years in 1936, right? He was a mechanic. He slept on a boat, took him seven weeks to get to Australia, lived in Melbourne, and was working on cars with 100 degrees each outside. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You know, an Englishman. He said, but he said, he said it was really great. He said, when I got to know Australian people, he said, and you became part of a community. And he always raves about Melbourne. You know, sadly, um, I never took him back. I wish I had it on. But when I went there, uh, he uh, he was he was kind of like, oh, I wonder what it's like now, you know. And I said, well, it's an extremely modern country. And yeah. I remember when we arrived at Melbourne, six o'clock in the morning, right? And we're all tired, you know, I've been drinking on the plane, you know. And we get off the plane, there's all these camera crews there and, and reporters, you know, flashing lights like the Beatles have arrived. And then there were crates of Cattle May and Foster's beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was like, it, it was sort of like, good day, mate, welcome to our planet. <laughs> and we were like, and we're all sort of, you know, hey, hey, man, you know. <laughs> this is, we didn't, it was just the impact, and of course, having clothes, it was a bit of a laugh, you know, because they, they're a nice band to be with because they're really funny, you know, they're, they're more Londoners than us. We're Midlanders, you see, what you call black country people, we are in the Midlands. Um, but that's down south, you know, here, how's it going all right, night, and all that kind of talk. And the last time I worked there, was when I reformed the band, uh, I think it was 1992, he nodded left. 
and Jim had left, but me and Don remained. Yeah. And I thought it was quite good, actually. Australia has, has been very favourable in many ways to me. Uh, as I say, I'm an old man's fondness for it, you know, the, the experience, you know. I went on holiday a couple of years ago to Portugal, and I was sitting around the, the pool, and I could hear an Australian accent. It was a couple of girls, you know, and I think it must have been 40. And they saw me walking back, and they went, Dave Hill. <laughs> going, yeah. We said, Dave Hill, play. Play the lie. That's it. Play the lie. And I'm going, play the lie. Amazing album. We had to record this play the lie in a small studio venue in London, just off Piccadilly. And we had, we had a couple of the roadies outside, and there were people walking around, you know, and we were trying to get a few people in, so I think you get to give some atmosphere. And bit by bit, people were going fast shopping, and they say, hey, you want to come here to a good band? It's free of charge. <laughs> and, and, they, and they got these, they got these, they got all these people coming in, and some of them were grannies with bags. <laughs> yeah, they're cooking. Yeah, it was really funny. We did it for three days, and the people that came the first time came the second time, and they got bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and then we chose the one. <laughs> yeah, we chose the one with the biggest sound. And then, of course, we, we, we had to mix it. And, uh, and we went up a corridor, right? And we're doing all the sound clapping, you know, and shouting. <laughs> but the album, I mean, I played it probably last year. I played it in the car, and I must admit it. It was like, it comes back to what's really good about it, you know. It's so genuine. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I don't remember the part where Nod's first in the middle of a... Yeah. Sebastian song. <laughs> yeah. In, but, Darling, in Darling Be Home Soon. Yeah, you know that one. And yeah, yeah. Became, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, it, 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 it became the going tree to 14-year-old kids at school that played to the mates. They'd be playing the album and say, wait a minute, he does a birth here. And that becomes, <laughs> that becomes slightly a bit of a hit record on it. <laughs> the birth. <laughs> yeah, it's just beautiful. a beautiful song. There's a birth. <laughs> it sums up the band in a way, the atmosphere of, of the good time band that we are. Absolutely. I know Kev saw you the first time you came out with um, Status Quo, and I saw you... The second time when you were promoting the old, new, borrowed, and blue album, and oh, it, just a, it was a great show. And but I've got to ask you about some of the fashion. And part of my question is super yob. Did you were the super yob with your silver outfit <laughs> and the yeah. big platform shoes? Like you and Jimmy Lee, if you're jumping on speakers in these big platform shoes, did you ever do an ankle or hurt yourselves? Because it looked bloody dangerous. Uh, well, it was dangerous. Uh, the platforms weren't great to walk on. They were like walking on moon boots. I probably wore the highest ones in the van, you know, the platforms, because yeah. I was the shortest member in the band, and it made me feel taller. And they were so clumpy, you couldn't exactly run around the stage. Getting on the boxes... The reason we used to do that, if the audience weren't reacting to us, we used to stand on a table <laughs> or on a chair. We had an act. We even played Frank Zappa. We didn't do pop music. But we always did something like Get Down and Get With It, where it involved the audience being part of the band. We, I think, were one of the first groups to ever do that kind of act. I was the first person to have an accident on those boots. It happened in Liverpool Stadium in the big days. I think it was 1973. So it was this And the crowd were surging forward to the stage. Uh, and then the promoters and the bouncers were going, you've got to come off. It's getting out of hand. They, you know, they're going to they're gonna flood the stage. I mean, you've got screaming girls. I mean, that it's a no-brainer because that, it'll all go on. And, mm. and you've got to go them off. So, so I, I tried to rape off because I think 
there were some girls running towards me and I, I raced off. And then I felt, uh, I felt uh, my, my ankle go over oh. and it actually broke. It actually broke. And I thought I'd framed it, but I hadn't. When I got back to Wolverhampton, the following day, which I was in great pain, I went to the hospital and they said you'd broke your ankle. And I'm in the middle of a huge tour yeah. with Susie, Susie Quattro supporting us, Tim Lizzie supporting us. Susie Quattro's not that well known then, but they, they're on the bill to get known, you know? Yeah. So, Chad Chanley, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Chad Chanley. Yes, yes, we was in the Emirates, yes. was Jimmy and its manager. Yeah, Chad. Chad is always coming up with great ideas, you know. And he, I said, Chaz, I, I can't stand up. And Chaz says, you can play your guitar, man. Yeah, I can do that. He says, the tunes work. He said, we'll get a gold throne, painted gold, and we'll sit you on it, and you'll play your guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And the show did go on. It was very successful. Good press, because I stuck it out. Well, I heard that it was so successful that your face had broken ankle for the next four <laughs> tours just to continue the trend. <laughs> I'm joking. Where did Super Yob come from, Dave? Because you had a, one of your episodes had Super Yob written on it. Do you remember that? What happened was there were two designers doing my clothes. And I said, Do you know what? I said, Wouldn't it be great to have a, a, a guitar with Super Yob on it? <laughs> and make it look like um, really, really futuristic, like unusual, like something you'd see in, I don't know, Flash Gordon back in, yeah. in the 60s. Yeah. And, and he went away and he came with a sketch. And I took it to a guitar builder in Birmingham and they made it. Well, of course, I went on top of the pot. And of course, nobody had done a guitar like that. And <laughs> it, it was like, I've got this airstar. I've got this, this clothes, and here's this guitar, which went very, very well with silver outfits. So it become like I become the spaceman, you know, the the super comic character of you know Mr. Marvel or something. And the only people that didn't understand it was America. They were going, they're going, what is this? what is that? How super yard? Maybe a bit like a punky. You know, street kids, you know, in America. <laughs> and, they, and then they end up spelling it wrong. Called, they called me Super Hog. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, they, they, they did not get it. It's in a, a sort of a, what do they call it, a museum? It's in there now. Oh, right. Uh, right. I think it's in Liverpool, actually, in some museum or something. It's a tribute to the 70s. Uh, very fun. Soul and Dolly. And then there's this super yob, you know. <laughs> they wanted to use knob hat, but he wouldn't let them have it, you know. Oh, it might get lost <laughs> or something might get damaged. But they were after images that are uh, strong. And one of my strong images was that guitar. And the other one was obviously the short, very short fringe. Which well, your, sister, your sister invented that, is that right? Because she was a hairdresser? Yes. Well, yeah, she was involved in one of my outfits. Because I said to my sister, I said, um, I'm thinking of something Egyptian. And what happened was that she got this headdress. It's like some mache. It's a strange kind of necky material she made it out of. And she put it on my head. And I said, well, I've got this long black. It's not a coat. It was almost like a down-to-the-floor frock. Uh, it's like something a nun would wear, right? Yeah. I said, well, I've got this. If I put circular mirrors, like not that, but big ones on it, I said, it'll go with that headdress. So we put it together, and then I took it to top of the cops, and we were about to release, come on, feel the noise, right? Yeah. Nobody has seen this outfit. A manager did see it, and he said, hey, that's incredible. <laughs> It'll be a number one single. What I thought was Egyptian 
was nicknamed the Metal Nun. I love it. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but Steve Marriott nicknamed me the Metal Nun, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and someone heard him say, Dave Hill's in there, the Metal Man. <laughs> and I thought that's really funny. Uh-huh. Because appearances on top of the pot, the clothes, especially me and Bob, is paramountly important for the sale of the group. And if you get on top of the pot, it's the most important television show in our country, and nearly everybody watches it, right? My point here is, is the entertainment side of a band has yeah. never left me. So when I go on stage now, I'll always have something which will create a nostalgia. And a little story for you as well, which you wouldn't know about just yet, is that a fashion historian in London has approached me and they're making a book on me about the clothes, the time. It's all about me, the outfits, and the people who designed them. And it's going to be a glamorized book with a massive picture of me on the front. I think it'll be great fun uh, and they've got all of the people who've got the drawings, the exact drawings of the ideas when we develop those costumes. So, in other words, all the big shoulders and all the knee pads and all the things I wore has been kept. And it'll be 100% fun to do because it's important to remember that in the early 70s, coloured television arrived in Britain and probably Australia. So it was like, wow, this has gone from a black and white world in the 60s to a 70s world of glam, of rock style, which escalated big time for four years with me in play. And I think it was a very happy time as well in, in, in the world, more so than now. But it was a time of newness. All right, that's only part of what uh, Dave Hill uh, had to say to us. We've got plenty more coming up from the Slade guitarist. Uh, so we've covered the super yob and we've covered his dad living in Melbourne for, for many, many years, but we've got plenty more to come. We've got from, rid uh, of those dodgy lines. Fancy yeah. you, and me, you and me having dodgy lines, Kev. <laughs> Fair dinkum. Manhattan so, Hotel, like, 1982. <laughs> It was Stevie Nicks was playing. Oh, dodgy lines. Right. Uh, I almost watched a doco of Stevie Nicks the other night on, on telly. I went to, and I went, nah, don't do it. They thought you'd watch the opening ceremony instead. Yeah, absolutely. Much <laughs> a repeat of that. Much better. Much better value. Murcott's driving excellence. Now, we'll all admit to being, you know, we're all great drivers, we think. Yes, we do. But we're not. No. And that thing that sits in your in your driveway or in your garage, that wonderful piece of machinery, go and have a look at it. You you buy things for it, you put petrol in it, you clean it, you wash it, um, you adore it, yet half the time I reckon 99% of people who jump behind the wheel don't actually know how to drive it. No. no. And it's time we fix that. Well, you know, yes, we need to. It's um, We need to keep the roads safe and uh, if you've got, you know, teenagers, you want them to be good drivers, so uh, Mercot says the answer. There's enough things in this world that are put in place to, to you know, rob you of, uh, of things that you want to do in your life. Don't make your car be one of those things. Make it a, a joy to be in and something that you know how to control and something that you know how to, you know, uh, work with other people with. So give Mercot's a buzz, one three hundred triple five five seven six. Mercots.edu.au. That's the website where you can check out uh, all the details. But we need to get back to Dave Hill, yes, my friend, my friend Brian. Because oh. we, you know we can't right. have just we can't have just one rock god on this program. We have to have you know several. Well, I tell you what, we've got a pretty good band going now. We've got Mickey Dolenz on the drums. We've got yep. Dave Hill on guitar. Yep. We've got Susie Quattro on bass. Um, we've got Alice Cooper on vocals. We got Steve Kilby on the hurdy gurdy. Yeah, we got the best backup singers in the world. Well, we've got Rocky Burnett and Shaken Stevens doing a few backups. Leo go. Sayers on the tambour, tambourine. What going would all you right. ask for? Wilbur Wilde's on the barbecue. Wilbur, yeah, he's on the barbecue <laughs> and sax. <laughs> all right, let's get back to uh, part two of Dave Hill from Slade. Slade. Baby, baby,
is there ever a chance ever that the four of you would get together again, do you think? Uh, no. Um, I think the circumstances have altered that. If it was down to me, I'd, I'd say yes to it anyway. Circumstances change that. Things happen and, and people change. I haven't. I think when people may lose their love towards the performance and what a band is really about, then I think really they lose interest in pursuing mm. to continue to tour. And that was the case. But there were other things, circumstances, personal um, to the others. As I say, a lot of bands split up. But I get the friendship with Nod. He's doing what he enjoys. He's enjoying his, his life. He doesn't have any interest particularly in going on the stage. Yeah. Whereas for me, in 1992, thankfully, uh, I went out with some different people. And I kept the slave name alive, playing to large crowds abroad in Germany and Russia and, and places that I'd never been to. You've got to go out there and do it. And when you're standing on the stage and you're playing your songs and you live in it, the feeling of it is if you still love it, you do it. But if you don't love it, then don't do it. And I think yeah. if you love something and you're passionate about it like I am, then that will show on stage. I may be 75, but I move around like somebody well, well younger because I looked after myself. I'm still, you know, energized. But I think it's the energy that gives it that impetus to be good. And when you're playing songs people love, as long as you're playing them well, they'll be singing with you. Yeah. Regardless of who's singing on that. It's all about their memories. And I bring them those memories to them, I get a wonderful feeling in life of the reason I'm here is what I do in life. And I think the passion and and the purpose to be what I am as a performer, musician, is paramount that the music has always been kind to me and has helped me through many, many difficult situations. And I think when you get together like I did a couple of weeks ago with a band, nothing else matters when you're playing those songs. You're totally in your bubble. Uh, it's a wonderful feeling. And as long as I feel like that, I should continue until I decide that I won't continue anymore. But um, I think I'm a performer, maybe like a vaudeville performer. They go on as long as they can do it, you know, and, and why not? There's always been an audience for me, and it's never small, it's usually large, but there's such a love affair with the band, the era particularly, uh, and I think a reminder of, of, of people's youth being great at that time, and I've heard yeah. that said to me, thank you for making my youth great, and I say, well, thank you for turning up. <laughs> yeah. No, more power to you. No, it's exactly you've well, summed it up beautifully. Well, well, Dave, just before you go, you know yeah. that even if you do lose your energy, you can just get a gold throne and sit there, <laughs> and that's going to work well too. We tried that out, and it worked out. Well, do you know, I think you may have a point. <laughs> if I can do it with a broken foot, <laughs> yeah. And and the other point I'd like to make to you, like you said, you've written. Three albums worth of material, so you'll get at least one or two albums out of that. Um, And you've got the book coming out. out. I would just suggest to you that you call at least one of those projects Metal None. (laughs) 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 I think Metal None's a great name. Yes. Uh, I mean... Um, I hope the nuns don't get offended, but it's an unusual title. And I must admit, you may have a point, because I never thought of that. That's quite funny, actually. <laughs> it certainly would be, it would be a, a bullet bullet note for the press. Well, I, you know. well, I saw a book title that said, Metal Nun, what the hell is this about? <laughs> I, I want to find out. Uh, it has a nice tinge to it because it could be any metal band. Very good. Very good. You know what I mean? Like, the nun is rocking. <laughs>
You should at least write a song called Metal Nun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great title. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I was, uh, I was hoping that, that people might take my new album seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it is, it, the album actually is, um, is biographical in its content of the lyric and stories. And the other name which obviously cropped up was uh, the Black Country Boy. So the Black Country thing was very much working class in the Midlands yeah. where there were factories and where bands like Babbitt, ELA, uh, yeah. came from yeah. and, us, and Robert Plant. So the element of noise and uh, factory sounds of working men um, was very prominent in our country back in the 50s and 60s. So all about the people, and I think I'm still that bloke, still amongst it. Uh, but anyway, I'll remember your idea all the time. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, before you go now, what you're saying now is that that country lives matter, and I think that's important <laughs> too because um, there hasn't been any albums about the and the Black Country Museum that matters. This is terrific, and. I think well, you, you, got you could have the Black Country Boys standing outside the Black Country Museum in Black there Country. There you go. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get another job, mate, right, Larry? <laughs> 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 You're wasting on radio. You better go out there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I've, written, I've written a few, but, you know, nothing is anywhere near as good as Slade. But, uh, yeah, but, so... Beautiful. Thanks. It's been so great to talk to you, Dave. Hey, Dave, Dave thanks for your time. Yeah, we are. We're both like huge to, fans. I like to, I, well, I like to give value to somebody, mate. And oh, if anybody's contesting from Australia, they were quality time. That's my point. And whatever I do in life, I try and do my best for most people. And the thing is, I enjoy talking to you, so it hasn't been a problem to speak to you for this period of time. Oh, uh, and sometimes in life, Especially in lockdown, I think it's nice to have a bit of a laugh with somebody yeah, else. Absolutely. the other side of the world. That doesn't come every day, does it? <laughs> no, it just <laughs> doesn't. That's the one I've had every day. <laughs> oh, yeah, beautiful. Thanks, anyway, Dave. Um, wish you all well, and maybe I might even visit you again. Who knows? Oh, we'd love to see you. That'll be wonderful. I'll do the support. I'll get my band to do the support for you. Oh, I'd be great. Because <laughs> I want to hear... Metal none. Uh, <laughs> you work on yeah. metal none. <laughs> yeah, your, your support band is tribute to metal none. <laughs> it's, a, it's a metal none tribute band. <laughs> yeah, the metal none tribute band. <laughs> and, and I'm going to have a gold throne and a cast on my leg. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. I better go. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Thanks for your time, mate. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Yeah, get on you, mate. It's all right, mate. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, see ya.
Dave Hill from Slade. Uh, he will be touring, hopefully. Well, he hopes to. Uh, but obviously, the, the bad part of that, Brian, I guess, is that we'll never see that foursome on stage again, uh, the way he was talking there, which is a Well, pity. yeah, because Noddy had such a special voice. And, oh, um, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I'll, I'll take any incarnation of that band. I love that band. I prefer to see it with Noddy and Jim, but we'll take what we can get. Yep. And uh, yeah. and you mentioned uh, during that, that was the first big concert I ever went to as a kid, Lang Park in Brisbane with uh, Slade, Status Quo, Linda's Fun and Caravan. Um, yeah. Uh, amazing show. And I mean, you said you saw them the second time they came out. Yeah. Uh, one of those bands where, and, and I, uh, I don't know if the, it doesn't work this way in America, but you can break in England and break in Australia if you play a lot of live gigs because people start to love you and then that momentum builds. It doesn't kind of happen that kind of pub mentality doesn't happen in America, does it? Which is, I reckon, why they didn't make it. Yeah, although they, they did influence a lot of American bands. Oh, yeah. You know, um, you know that Motley Crue loved them and... Um, oh, Kiss, know, a lot of those... Twisted Sister, yeah. as he mentioned with Dee Snyder when he was talking about yeah. him earlier. Yeah, a lot, yeah, of, so, lot of bands. You know, they did have their impact, but um, perhaps not the way they did in Australia and England. But, no, um, they were huge. What Absolutely. a thrill to speak to him. That was great. Yeah, it was good. It was really good, and, and I've got to say, got to say, we, we lost the line about four times during that interview, so that's why it might have been a little disjointed at times. Uh, and every time we rang him back, he was just so generous with his time and so happy just to have a chat. It was terrific. Do you reckon he'll call his album Metal None or his book Metal None? <laughs> I hope he does. I, I reckon like he to, will. I, I reckon I'd like to think I've had a little bit of influence on yeah, the man. That's a, that's a terrific story, that. That uh, whole um, Steve Marriott and Top of the Pops and the Egyptian look and all that sort of stuff. Very funny stuff. Like a Good stuff. Metal None. <laughs> now, that is, uh, we, we've got some, uh, we've, we've kept this one as a slate only uh, Dave Hill uh, episode because we just had so much uh, to talk to him about and, uh, and yeah. he was obviously so uh, generous with his time. But still to come, in, in the coming episodes, we've uh, oh. spoken to the boys from Dragon, so we've got yep. them coming up. Mark, Mark Gable from the yeah. Choir Boys. Dave Gleeson from Screaming Jets and, and the, the Angels. And the Angels, yeah. Yep. And? Michael Chug. Oh, Chuggy's a beauty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Mark Opitz, when you talk to Chuggy, you talk about every Australian rock and roll act of the last 40 years? Yeah, yeah. Maybe 50 years. Maybe more. Yeah, yeah. so uh, they they all get a mention in various uh, ways and uh, shapes and means. So uh, uh, you can look forward to uh, Michael Chug uh, being uh, a part of the, the next life of Brian Mannix, that is podcast. All right. And That's it's a, a funny one. I can tell you. Yeah. Murcott's Driving Excellence, 1300 555 uh, that's it for uh, this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, please support Murcotts. They've been terrific. Brian, uh, go, and, uh, go and watch the, the, the Javelins coming up. Uh, Ooh. We've, we've got uh, many track and field events. We've got uh, Badminton, which I know you're into at a million miles an hour. Yeah, the mini golf the, is going to be on. Uh, yeah, the golf will be on. The, the mini golf. Uh, the handball. No, the mini golf. No, there's no mini golf. What about the totem tennis? Is that no, 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 no. As much as Matt Shervington's trying to get holy moly as an Olympic sport, he Fair hasn't man. quite got that through yet. What about Frisbee? Is that on today? Uh, that'd be a Frisbee would be a good one, I reckon. Or well, be more relevant than breakdancing. Yeah, I reckon so. Yeah. And you could incorporate dogs. You could dogs. Do, you could do who can throw the Frisbee the furthest and get what their dog just, to catch it. What about just the dog Olympics? People oh, love dogs. I reckon they do the dog Olympics. I reckon that's actually an event. That's a thing. Yeah, I think it is. Wow, I think that'd I'd, be all right. I'd have to get Benny into it. You'll have to get Kevin into it. I might have to enter in the pooper scooper. Award. <laughs> no, I don't. I see. Right. I did see. I have to tell you this. I did see Mick Malloy on uh, the front bar. They did a Tokyo edition last week, and Mick Malloy was uh, has joined your push for poo jogging to be put in the Olympics. Oh, good man, Mick. Yeah, poo <laughs> jogging in the Olympics would be yeah. good. He joined your push. I thought the Manic started that. Yeah, <laughs> poo jogging. So Fantastic. Mick's on the bandwagon. I wonder how you judge the poo jogging. Would you judge it by who gets across the line first or the biggest poo? Or well, you've got four the... years to work it out. Right. Actually, sorry, I like three years. Well, will they be able to probably introduce it for the Brisbane Games because we get to introduce a sport for well, them? Well, that's where I reckon if you're going to do anything, 2032 should be your goal. Poo jogging in the 2032 Olympics. Brisbane, shit happens. And what about poo dancing? Don't know about that, Brian. Okay, fair enough. 
Have a lovely uh, week, uh, a day, month, year, whatever. Until the next time we see you, this has been the life of Brian. Uh, dot, 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 Manic Studies podcast. Thanks to Mercotts, Driving Excellence. Uh, look after them and look after yourself. See you, Brian. See you later, Kev, and goodbye to you listening. Until next we meet, I love you. Yeah.